0: Welcome to A Humanistic Perspective, episode 12. We are super happy to be joining you guys again this week for another amazing interview. This week we have the pleasure of featuring Sean Murphy. He is currently the head of the music business program at Baldwin Wallace University and the owner of of Murphy Music Publishing. We have a really, really, really interesting dialogue about the current state of the music industry, what it's like to be in higher education, the ups and downs of the music business, and everything in between it should be a really fun and exciting episode and we can't wait for you guys to hear it so check it on out
1: Cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to cover everything in four years, a lifetime's worth of knowledge. Seriously. That is but very true. I
0: wanted to thank you for being on our show and coming on with such short notice. This is really, really cool. No problem. Um, no problem, Chad. For you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so since we have to keep this so brief, we like to start by first allowing our audience members to maybe get a feel for how you got to where you are and where, where your life path went and how and how you've ended up where you're doing with what you're doing now with publishing
1: and uh, teaching in higher ed. Sure. So you kind of cut out for a second there, but basically backstory, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know. I was just interested in music, right? Uh, I think everyone starts off being interested in something. And um, also everyone's also influenced by some people they look up to in their life, right? Like you guys are all influenced by your teachers, probably. So I had just like some good teachers growing up and I was like, you know what? I inspired by them. I just want to do that. So I went to, to music school. I went to Slippery Rock University of Pennsylvania um, and it has a good name and people think that's funny, but it was a <laughs> solid school. It's the, it's the BW of, of Western Pennsylvania. And uh, I went for music ed because I wanted to be a band director, but um, I just realized that I didn't really want really all that responsibility to be completely honest with you. Um, and all the other kind of ancillary stuff that comes beyond just like the directing of the band, like, you know, marching band and like scheduling trips and all, you know, fundraisers and bake sales and all that stuff. You're a teacher and an administrator. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I don't really feel like I'm done learning now that I'm out of undergrad, just like you guys are talking about. You guys, you guys are having all these life experiences right now so i was like well i'm done with school but i don't feel like i'm done actively learning so i'm just going to go to grad school and i went to grad school in texas and partially because my my then girlfriend now wife was going there as well um but it's also the biggest music school in north america and that made it interesting for me to um what school to go was it like, uh University of North Texas.
2: Oh yeah, that's that's great. So
1: I just felt like it was something like okay, well I'm from this school of like 8,000 people, what would it be like to kind of go into this like bigger pond and see what the other perspectives would be like from you know like 3,000 other musicians. So um I went there and I did that and really what I found was that you know big schools like that are just propped up by people from a bunch of other smaller schools who go to these bigger schools and that becomes like the um the applicant pool for these bigger schools. So it wasn't like I was going to school with like Mozart and Beethoven. I was just going to school with a bunch of other people that were trying to test themselves in the same way. So um, when you're in music school at that kind of level and like the demands that are put on you, uh, you just, I don't know, I feel like you're at a phase in your life where you're just trying to like, you're just like taking in everything like very actively and you're kind of like this curious observer of everything. So I was just, like, wondering, like, where are we getting this music from all the time? Like, we seem to be playing, like, whatever, like, the next big thing is. And, like, how do we even know this exists? So I just started, like, researching some composers. And I uh, I was asking some people to write music for me. And after this one guy who did write a piece for me, I had, like, no money. And this is before, um, this is, like, the beginning of Kickstarter. It's even, okay. like, before Kickstarter. Oh, there was this new thing called Indiegogo. Oh, Indiegogo. I know exactly I know what Indiegogo. you're talking about. Go. Yeah, this is, like, the... It's like the precursor to uh, crowdfunding. It's like, the, I don't know if it was the first crowdfunding thing, but it's before Kickstarter or right around that same time. So he was like, I, uh, I don't understand how this works. This composer's name is David Biedenbender. I don't understand how this works. Um, if you can figure it out for me, I'll like write this piece for you. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I didn't know how to do it, but I was like, I'll figure it out. So we raised money for this piece. He wrote the piece. And then he was done with the piece. I was like, well, I guess we need somewhere to like publish it so people can buy it. So why don't I just like publish it? And he was like, well, how do you do you know what you're doing? And I was like, well, we could probably, you know, figure out as we went. Yeah, like I'll learn
0: copyright law as I go.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I just knew that. Like, I just felt like, I don't know. I'm reading that Obama book right now. And he says like enthusiasm, like will trump like any of your like shortcomings. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like if I really wanted to figure out how, how to do this, I could probably do it. Um, so we started with the one piece and then, uh, I got put in touch with another composer and he is the one, his name is Steve Daniel, another, uh, good guy. And he's the one who explained to me that he actually had this printer he was using in Colorado, who was like a ghost printer for him. And he, everything shipped out of Colorado. And I was like, Oh, okay. So if Steve would have never told me this, I would have never even gotten it off the ground. So for the first couple of years, we're using this ghost printer and I'm like finishing my master's and I'm just freelancing around. And then, uh, essentially, it, uh, it got bigger and bigger, and people started wanting to get essentially a fifty percent royalty on their music instead of ten percent. Wow! So we get picked. Was that money. the um,
0: for people who don't maybe understand the industry? Was that the current standard at the time? The 10% well,
1: it's split? still it's still pretty much ninety ten right now, but it's ten percent for the composer, ninety percent for the publisher. It's really bad, what? and. Um, it- yeah when you say whenever people say 90 10 they assume it's the other way like you have to give up 10 percent. right but what does it's basically publisher
0: necessarily do is it more of just like the play in the roles that they have able to like outsource your compositions or things you've made like how does that work? yeah
1: so like 90 10 comes from like the 20th century where like the publisher had to be in charge of like distribution like marketing like creation like there was no this is pre-internet right you have to use like presses and actually like stamp out the plates on the paper like this dates back to england like way back so oh, yeah. i mean it was like it's kind of like why would you change the model i mean basically the model never changed when the technology changed that's like all similar with a lot of industries right so we were doing 50 50 and that seemed like really good relatively speaking to 90 10 so it just got really big and um i'm still using the colorado printer but we weren't making nearly as much as we could because we're having to pay this printer in colorado so then I just started to do it myself and um, that really helped the profitability, kind of cutting out the middleman. So I was teaching adjunct saxophone at this school in Dallas called Richland How College. old are you
0: at this time?
1: Uh, you know, I started the company in like 2012. So I guess I would have been like 23.
0: Okay. And what state did you form that company in?
1: Well, you know, it's, it was an LLC that was filed in Pennsylvania using my parents' address, but I was living in Texas.
0: <laughs> Got you. Okay. Wow. Where do you have that? Do you still have it? Where, what state do you have that registered to? Honestly, now? it's
1: still in Pennsylvania because I've just been too go. lazy to change it. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, okay, I'm like 23. I guess I'm like 25 or six now and I'm adjuncting at this school and um, they're like, hey, we're bringing you back music business. You have music business. Why don't you teach music business? I was like, okay. <laughs> Again, I don't really, I'm not really I'm picturing myself as a classroom teacher at that point. I'm more of an like, applied instructor, like one-on-one teaching the saxophone. Mm-hmm. But um. I just found that I like, you know, kind of the same way you like prepare to perform and then you get that kind of exhilaration of performing. You kind of like prepare to teach a class and then you kind of get this exhilaration when it like goes well. Mm -hmm. So I did kind of feel there was like some similarities there. So I started teaching the music business courses there. Um, This job at BW opened up and I'm teaching adjunct at the school in Texas. So that means I was just getting paid like per class. Um, So I applied for that BW job and another job in Kentucky And I um, ultimately ended up getting the BW one and just deciding that it just seemed like a kind of a growing field. You know, there's this big movement in higher ed to broaden our entrepreneurial thinking, like in music. And it seemed like in instrumental study, it was going the other way. Like schools would rather just pay adjuncts to just come in and teach lessons than really invest in a person to like be there every day and to like support an ideology, like entrepreneurial thinking. So that's kind of why I ended up doing the BW thing. And I think it's working out. You know, I, I had two of, out of three of you in class, maybe three out of three of you.
2: <laughs>
1: but I mean, that's uh, kind that's of how we got, where we are now. And then, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a piece uh, on Joe Biden's inauguration. That was probably the biggest thing that's happened.
0: Wow. How did you get that? How did well, I you had really had game?
1: nothing to do with it. But the composer texted me like a couple of weeks ago and she's like, hey, the Marine Band just called. They want to know if I can write a piece for Biden. I have to do it in five days. Uh, what should we call it? And I was like, I don't know, how about a tremendous fanfare? But um, that was shot down. Um, <laughs> so we, um, were, we were sitting on that for a couple of days. We were trying to get the press release together, the marketing campaign. They played it at the Prelude, which is like what they play when like the dignitaries are coming in and it was on C-SPAN. That's and crazy. We, Have you made like trickle
0: down marketing content from that?
1: I mean, oh, really gosh. we just, we tried to, you know, okay. So like in the music world, like everyone's pretty on the left. And then there are some centrists. So, you know, Michael Jordan always says, like, you know, Republicans buy shoes too, right? So we tried to, to like, take it as far as we could with, like, just the announcement. But mm-hmm. I didn't really want to, to like, go too far the other don't way. didn't want to there.
0: enlist it like you were, yeah, like you were uh, endorsing necessarily a certain way.
1: Yeah, and this composer even, you know, she was even advised by the military to even make her uh, social media accounts, like, private for a period of time just because... We're living in such a tumultuous uh, atmosphere politically. So again, as the publisher, I didn't really want to, you know, fan the flames of that environment, but, you know, we did sell a bunch of them and, you know, that was a good time, but that's probably been like the most interesting thing that's happened over the past 10 years of doing the publishing thing. No, that's, wow. Yeah. I I wanted to ask. So um, I noticed that a lot of higher ed people they have their
0: hands in a lot of different buckets and diversifying their portfolio. Um, you don't maybe necessarily need to disclose um, numbers, but which which side is I guess um, like like what? Do you, how do you determine what you put your time into versus where you rely on your source of
1: income for living? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So you know, back in like my early twenties and stuff, and I was adjunct in freelancing. It was just like you're just trying to like grow as much as possible in like any direction. And you don't necessarily like, ha- you just kind of see things in like primary colors. Like this is a source of revenue. This is a source of revenue. And then when you get older and you have more stability, you can like kind of, I don't want to say be more selective, but you can do stuff that's more like fulfilling. So like I have these, I have all these like orders I have to fill after we're done with this podcast. <laughs> and um, when I if, when I was like 23, I would have been like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. All these people want this music. Now I'm like 33 and I'm like, you know what? Like, is it, I don't run out of time to make these orders. I'd rather be doing this podcast. So as far as like how, my, how I, you know, balance my revenue, I, I guess with the business before, like we had to try to reach these, set these goals, meet these goals, reach these goals. And if we didn't, like, it was not a colossal failure, but it was like pretty s- sobering
0: right because you got to count on that to keep going yeah now
1: it's kind of like well we can maybe take a little bit more risk um and we can also be a little bit more selective and like who we work with like in the beginning i would just like publish like anybody who came my way and i wasn't very like not a lot of scrutiny into the quality of the music now like i do say no a lot more because we do have a certain like brand and if i like let a piece in the catalog it like reflects on all the other like 150 composers that are all kind of mixed in. So I it's like I have opportunity to be more selective. I don't have to be quite as like make it or break it with our like projections and our aspirations. And it's just nice to know that you know, if I teach a lesson and it doesn't like land the way I wanted it to, like we're not going to be down like 10% for that month. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. 100% but, makes sense. So that's kind of like that's kind of how it shakes out. Really interesting. I had a question too. I was very curious
0: um how how has your transition to BW been? And I'm really, overnight it feels like almost that this program has gone from really just a, a thought to something that's really prosperous and something that is uh, very innovative for I think what's happening in the music industry space and the higher ed space. Can you talk a little bit about that process? And was it intimidating coming in, being told, "Hey, we want to start a music business program. Can you run it? Are you the guy?" You know, like how was that experience?
1: Yeah, you know, actually, that really wasn't something that I was, so, you know, the job was posted as somebody with music industry background, or maybe like, you know, arts management, but preference for a music industry person. And, you know, here are some of the, like, maybe a label person or venue publishing, whatever. I was like, okay, well, I feel like I have something to stand on, you know, between my experience teaching at Richland and running that company for uh, like eight years or seven years at that time. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, In the interview like the very first question they said was like so like what how would you structure like a music business degree? And I was like, oh, is that something that like you're hoping to do here? They're like, well, it would be up to the new person so then like, kind of right away I had to kind of Very (laughs) quickly, like in the you know when you get an interview and you kind of get a question that I guess I I don't know I just wasn't thinking that was going to be a question, but I just had to very quickly um, Like visualize like what I thought that would be and I remember kind of what I said is really, I mean, what made sense, just kind of leverage the connections we already have and try to build on what we already have going for us without really knowing what exactly that was. Mm-hmm. And then coming to BW and just learning more, you know, I guess behind, you know, we have been doing the program for like 30 years, but kind of as a combination of like sport and art management mm-hmm. and also like knowing that we did have like the infrastructure in place already you know, we had like kind of a skeleton outline of how the arts management curriculum worked that we could kind of bounce off for the music industry side of things. We had like our our guests, you know, we already have Hallie Yavich kind of in the fold who does the booking at Staples Center. We already have like um, Haddon Hipsley who does Bonnaroo, like in the fold. We are, Brian has already you know kind of paved the way and made these connections. So um, I guess it does appear as if we're moving at a quick speed relative for the pace of higher ed, but it's been greatly uh, enhanced by the fact that we've already kind of been doing this work for a long time. So uh, I'm about to actually do this panel on Monday with uh, Deshpanda and the Rock Hall and the idea is like, what is music entrepreneurship doing in like the higher ed space? And I think like what we're finding is that it's something that everyone is attracted to kind of in their own like unique way, same way that like we all like to listen to different like genres of music, but we all kind of like connect to the general idea in one way or another. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, with this in higher ed. And I think that's why it's having like a mass appeal and a school like BW, you know, we're positioned well, right. We're kind of in between Chicago and we're North of Nashville and we're West of New York. So we're kind of in that like Midwest region. And, you know, Philadelphia is a fine city as well. And and of course there's like IU and all all that stuff, but I feel like we're just in a good area to try to, yeah. People who don't want to necessarily go to New York, you know, Nashville or Chicago. So I think that's really helping too.
0: Sure. Um, What would you say is, I guess, to a new student who wants to maybe go into the music business field or someone who hears this that thinks that this is maybe the right idea for them, what are you seeing are common traits that those students have? And what are you telling them from the perspective of someone in higher ed?
1: Well, I guess the most important thing, and, you know, Chad, I think, and Jake as well, I mean, you have to kind of like really want to succeed, right? So, I, I always like, I don't like when the students come in and they want me to like sell them on the idea of doing this degree program. I mean, I can do that, but I don't feel very like, I just don't think that's appropriate. So I really want the students to like be already like invested, like professionally, emotionally, like aspirationally into like succeeding, right? That's like, cause you, this is like a tough field, man. You know, oh, really yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah. So if you're not like all the way in, then it's hard. So there's that. And then also I think the two other things, people need to have an interest in like a multitude of skill sets. So it's nice if you come to the program and you like, man, I really love like sub pop records. And what I want to do is I want to do A&R for like sub pop records. That's yeah. definitely a good starting point, but it's it kind of denies the, the broadness of the area that you were kind of alluding to, Chad. Mm-hmm. And with BW being like a liberal arts school, our mission is to like educate you like kind of in all facets So um, I I try to encourage and look for students who have a broad interest because I think that's going to help them. And also people who are interested in like building their supportive skills. Like you can't just do music only because you have to understand like economics. You have to understand like the entrepreneurial side of it, like the marketing side, all these other things that kind of work together. So if there are people who are kind of like, well, I just want to like listen to like the Allman Brothers all day. I mean, that's great too, but that's gonna be you're kind of missing the bigger picture. So I mean, people right. who are just like motivated, like interested in like a portfolio of skills and like supportive skills, that's usually like a good combination. Sure. Sorry about the dogs. Yeah. Jay, could you actually see if they'll get them to quiet down? They're they're going a
0: little crazy right now. I have but... a cat, so it's not quite the same. <laughs> I totally get it. Um I wanted to ask too. So where do you see yourself going next? Are you hiring more people for the publishing company? What's, what is, I guess, your five or 10 year track plan?
1: Well, okay. So when, if you're like a 90, 10 publisher, you have like a lot more cushion to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I sold you a piece of music for a hundred dollars and I'm going to make 90 on it and I could pay someone $25 to make it. And I'm still coming away with like 60 or 70 bucks, but because we're 50, 50, it makes it the margins tighter on the actual like net. So I don't, I don't have any employees. I've never had employees. Wow. So everyone is a contractor, right? The composers are contractors. They write the music and then they basically, I basically act as a distributor in a sense. I distribute their music to their vendors or individuals. And then I pay them back a royalty on that 50%, mm-hmm. 55% in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all contractors. And then they, you know, they get their ten ninety nines. I just sent them all out today. Actually. I'm like, okay. nice.
0: Yeah. We got taxes coming up right here in February.
1: Uh, Well, I got to send them out the 1099 thing by like February, but we got two more months to do our returns, obviously. But where am I going with this? Okay. So I don't have employees. I have contractors Mm -hmm. and then I have like suppliers. So like, you can't see it here, but there's like all this paper over here in the corner. And like, there's a shop here in Cleveland called Millcraft down close to downtown. And they're like my supplier. And obviously like the post office is like my main channel of distribution. They come here to the house, and they just picked up like seventeen things today. Um, nice. So I, I kind of like, and then I am right, like the chief. I'm like the executive, of everything, right? I'm like the tech guy. I do the website. I
2: do the marketing. I do like. Our Mailchimp, uh, Jake, you know about some of. Yep, the... yep, I know a lot about this. Yes. Did you actually work with him? Yes, did, I actually did, did an together? internship. Actually, with Sean Murphy himself, he learned. He taught me a lot about the music publishing world. I knew exactly when you were talking about David Biedenbender. I'm like, yep, I've seen that name plenty of times. So, I mean, I could like,
1: okay, for example, Jake, if I wanted to hire you, like, I could like train you and like pay you like an hourly wage to like make these orders that come in. But then I also have to like supply you with like the means to do it. Like the printers, the paper, like the covers. Right. We, like, so then you have to invest in the actual like infrastructure to do it. I already have it all here. And then like, where would you keep it? Like- What your kind of printer could, do you need? I'm just curious. Um, well, you can't, you can't really see it over here, but it's the type of printer that holds a uh, 12 by 18 paper so that you could mm-hmm. have what you normally see. When you see a not, score. What you normally you see, see is s- nine by 12 but it's really 12 by 18 paper like this. Mm. So that's, you know, normal paper is eight and a half by 11. And if you multiply that by two, that's 1117. So this one down here just goes a little bit bigger than that and it does it duplexes, so it prints both sides. But I mean, okay, so if I don't have an office obviously and I'm gonna hire you to do this, Jake, I gotta train you, I gotta pay you, of course, I gotta give you the supplies and then we gotta have a place to do this, which is not your house probably. And that just creates a lot of- um,
0: Overhead. Lot. Yeah,
1: over and just like barriers, to like pursue it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah. you add so, insurance
2: into all of that, and then it's like, yeah, like
1: what if you were using my paper cutter and you like cut your finger off? <laughs> you know I mean, I hope that would never happen, and I hope it doesn't happen to me either. I have a right. very old school one back there, but um, <laughs> so it just creates a lot of challenges. And also, I'm a little bit like, I think if you're like an entrepreneur, you are a little bit like control freak. Truly. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Like, you're never, you're never really satisfied. And cause you always like, I noticed myself with my entrepreneurial tendencies is like what I have in my head achieving that or doing that with the team is never going to be the same as what I first started at. Yeah. One. When I was
1: younger, I like hated group projects. Now I realize life is a group project, right? I'm in a group project with the post office every single day. <laughs> and whenever oh, the, post office, <laughs> when the post office slowed down, you know, our group project was, was compromised for a time. So mm-hmm. But you know, it's like, then if I someone does something and it's wrong, then they comes back on us. Like I got the score and the, I was missing three pages and you guys suck and whatever. I feel like uh, obviously I'm gonna have the best amount of quality control of anybody who, no one else knows all the ins and outs of the catalog, obviously, and there are so many little idiosyncrasies. It would just be hard to, to teach another person. And then sure. they just leave after a couple of years anyway, probably get a better job. <laughs> right yeah move on
0: um I wanted to ask what has been the biggest challenge maybe or, or the biggest learning you've had teaching during a pandemic and that transition
1: oh god I mean I'm still being challenged with um you know we had our cyber attack here and the technology was compromised and it still is to an extent and I just like just yesterday, learned how to plug my laptop into the card and use the other little converter thing. And I didn't even know I had another micro USB on the other side of my laptop. <laughs> um, but I guess it's the challenge has been like straddling that line between um, engaging the students and uh, everyone's safety. So it's like when we're in the classroom, it like feels better, it feels more normal. Mm-hmm. But also we know that that creates an environment that is less safe than being on Zoom. I know there is no perfectly safe in-person option right now. So we're all just, you know, trying to follow the appropriate steps, but I guess it's been just like modifying everything and imagining ways to do collaborative things that don't involve. I think, I think we take for granted the physical distancing in our lives, mm-hmm. like even just to turn to your neighbor and ask them what they think about, you know, if this cop song is infringing on copyright or not. Yeah, it's just like something you would never really consider a, a, a something that need to be planned out in advance. Right. And now it's like something that if we want to do so, some kind of group thing, I have to like come to class beforehand and like print out these things and like put them on the table beforehand and like don't touch them and, you know, stay in your seat. And it's just a lot more planning. But what I'm do you th-
2: not complaining, you know, I'm happy to be teaching. So, What would you say is the most creative thing that you've done to pivot towards this new way of like higher ed? Hmm. Like creative thing as in like creative ways of doing assignments, creative ways of doing- Yeah, maybe a
0: tip for another professor that could hear this.
2: Well,
1: I'm sure I have a lot to learn about this. One thing that I thought was pretty slick was what we did in the financial management class, Chad, with Brian Lowe from Live Nation. Mm -hmm. So Brian's free, right? So he's he's just hanging out at his house in uh, Dallas. So instead of me just like having the students come up with just like a fictitious event and coming up with a profit and loss for that, I just had Brian give them all live nation venues that he knows and then acts and then they had to come up with the, the profit and loss that they would get on that particular act, and like what that demo how much alcohol does the jimmy eat world audience at house of blues uh engage it was really in, cool experience like that was like,
0: like the first real world yeah
1: i like that versus like you know um paw patrol right they're gonna put on paw patrol mm-hmm. for the and the christmas time for families and stuff so i think that was good because um you know normally we First of all, Brian wouldn't be free to zoom in class, probably like he did, and he wouldn't be free to like grade your assignments, come up with this scenario ahead of time, and provide feedback. It was very all-encompassing, so that wasn't really. know I, all I had to do was really ask nicely and kind of put the idea together. But then Brian Lowe was the one who facilitated it. But I, that was probably the thing I've been most satisfied with in my pandemic teaching.
0: <laughs> what I'm I'm so curious because I think teachers spend a lot of time getting to psychologically analyze people who are at a very pivotal age in their life. What is something that you maybe notice about the kids that are going through school now that is different than maybe when you were going through school?
1: Well, I don't, it's like, I feel like in this generation, like the amount of things that happen on the day to day, it's like, we're all living through major historical events, right? <laughs> Like when I was, when I was your age, like something would happen like once in a while. Like, you know, I was, I like lived through nine eleven, I lived through like hanging chads. I lived through like the Obama like election. And those are like the big things. I feel like that happens in like a week now. Right. Uh, that amount of stuff, like that amount of, <laughs> that amount of catastrophic and like major events happen like in a week. But at the same time, like you this generation seems very like, I don't know. But eh, like, Ooh,
0: be honest say it like yeah. just like
1: you just it's just like you guys are almost like desensitized to it like because yeah. you're just so used to like growing up in a world of like internet for your whole life like everything is just continue everything like your whole life is kind of like one big scroll like oh okay like trump got impeached okay scroll up like new song by ariana grande like scroll up like the capital was stormed like it's just yeah, like this on. continual mm-hmm. thing and it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that this generation is like a lot more in touch with their mental health and like their sexuality and everything just because like you guys are just inundated with like everything like all the time. Yeah, and, right. And my generation, I mean maybe like once every couple of years there was something big. so
2: <laughs> I don't know. You was, guys uh, I think you guys
1: are kind of resilient in a way, just for just having to just deal with it. I, yeah, I
0: would say so. I agree uh, heavily with that idea that like um, we I feel like our whole generation has like a little bit of ADHD. We're just super wired. Because because of that I, I, I,
2: yeah, I do think it's because of technology and it's it's all just because you know all these companies they want your attention Truly. that's that's the reason why you keep scrolling I mean mm-hmm. that's the truth
1: oh yeah mm-hmm. it's like the most valuable currency in the world is like social currency right now like likes and engagement it's worth more than any actual amount of money hmm. I've never really thought about that before yeah
2: I mean when you think about that I mean that's really how you know ads make money honestly on because like if you went into the store and bought like mountain dew one time for five dollars
1: that's fine but if i could like get your social like currency to invest in mountain dew through all of my uh you know internet stuff then now i've basically made a lifetime user of mountain dew truly and that's what
0: companies need i need i think to thrive and to really last is is strong brand awareness and and you know continued consistency. That's one thing I've been reading Gary Vee's book a lot. And he talks heavily about that word consistency, which, which is important. Um, I wanted to ask if you had to go back and tell yourself one piece of advice from your younger years, what would it be now?
1: Oh, I mean, you just got to like adapt with the times basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, so like I started off wanting to be like a band director and then realizing that that's like not a lifestyle that I really wanted to live for 30 years. And then I was going to do the saxophone performance thing and I was like pretty like emotionally invested in that and then just like the reality of the market for saxophone performers and just like what does the next like 10 20 years of that look like mm-hmm. it's definitely going to have its challenges Are so, you still
0: releasing music yourself?
1: Yeah, and you know, honestly it's been hard to really get the motivation to practice in the pandemic I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a concert like right before the pandemic and then after that it was almost like a relief that I was able to do it and it's like now like I practice sometimes but it's also like why like I still identify as a musician but like right now in the pandemic times without musicians are very like competitive and we want to have like we're you know Jake you're striving for something oh yeah yeah you want
2: you want to always like when you look up to someone that you aspire to be like it motivates you to want to be better you know, everyone, like, I want
1: to be able to like play this piece by this date so I can have a rehearsal with this pianist and not sound terrible. And, and just also like, just you,
2: the aspect of performing live is so with other musicians, you know, there's nothing when like do you think it. the
1: live music's coming back. You know, honestly, the one thing I've been thinking about is I've been doing some of these assembling some of these virtual performances for school here. And the thing about doing all these virtual is like the, it's a little bit low stakes in that like you can like read as many takes as you want. And there is gonna be something about going back to live music. I'm kind of interested to see what happens on Sunday. The weekend's gonna get that Super Bowl halftime show. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first concert in like a year. I mean, not really, but it's like the first big one.
0: Yeah. And, and like I, the first
1: major performance. Who I'm
2: announced like curious like what's gonna happen? It is gonna be I'm very excited for that.
0: Someone you said just announced tour dates for 2021. Oh,
2: yeah, I it's think. the same person that's doing the Super Bowl the oh,
0: weekend. The weekend.
1: He yeah, did. Well, yeah, but then I saw, I would just actually, I just looked before this call. So, like, the weekend was supposed to do that after hours tour, like, 2020, and then it was rescheduled to 2021. And then he just moved the Cleveland date to 22. But, like, uh, you know, the Super Bowl halftime show, like, usually all these, like, fans run in with, like, lights and stuff mm-hmm. and, like, make that kind of fake, like, party atmosphere. And, like, I'm just wondering, like, what's the energy of it going to be like without, obviously, that part of it? but still i'm I'm
0: assuming it'll be uh similar to the mtv award show or whatever where they like kind of mock music video play it through
1: yeah but then i was also been telling the students here like you know you guys when were you born chad what year 99 okay so like september 11th 2001 you guys were like two years old you don't remember this. i was like four
0: i I think my mom was babysitting somewhere and i was with her i just found a
1: picture of me whenever this happened like afterwards like there was a general anxiety about mass gatherings And it really took like 12 to 18 months before mass gatherings were like cool again. So with a COVID thing, I don't, you know, there's not going to be like a day where Joe Biden comes out and like mission accomplished, like COVID's over. Mm -hmm. Um, So it will be interesting to see, like it's not, I don't think it's going to be like COVID's over on Monday and we have like uh, Bonnaroo on a Tuesday. Like there's going to be this like period of time just like ramping up. And um, I think it will take, longer than people are th- i think live nation and the like think that they're just gonna like flip a switch and it's gonna be concerts again right i don't think i don't necessarily think that's realistic
0: no i, I don't either per se I, I think there needs to be a lot more um systems in
2: place we need to uh, a lot New more innovation like, for venues honestly
0: yeah extremely i think this opportunity like really showed and shined a light on like there's a huge window or opportunity to bring a new style of concert or something new to the concert space that keeps listeners engaged
2: and excited, and wanting to experience that again.
0: Where do you see students looking for jobs now when they're leaving? So, like, if I'm a parent and I want to send my kid to music business school during a pandemic, what are you? What, are, what does job placement look like? What are our kids finding stuff?
1: What's going well, on the that? one I guess what I've been telling the prospective students is that you are coming to school during a pandemic, but four years from now, if we I would be surprised if we were still in this environment when they get out, right? So it is a okay. bit of an incubation time. Um, honestly, what I think we're gonna see, my big prediction is that like record labels kind of rebrand themselves as like artist incubators, mm-hmm. and what they do is start to provide like more all-encompassing services for the artists. Um, and the bands that aren't just the distribution of music, like yeah, they're still going to do that, but they're going to do like more like branding of the artists, like doing their clothing line, like you know Kanye West and the Gap, right? There's going to be like the Atlanta Collective that does like the sweaters that their band does, and then they're going to do their social media marketing too, and they're gonna, it's going to be more. They're even probably going to support the touring in, in a way that will justify the contract mm. and try to get basically like, yeah, we know you could do a, B, C and D thing by yourself. But if you just come to us as like a one-stop shop, then we'll do all those things for you and you don't have to worry about it, which is like the original premise of labels to begin right. with. So I'm not saying that that's like the hot industry that like all these students are going to go working in, but I do think that it speaks back to like the plurality of skills that people are going to have to have to uh, support artists in like many different areas of their monetization, like kind of system besides just touring and making records. Hmm. Mm. Have you spent time traveling at all? Have you been out of the U S during the pandemic or my life, just in your life in general? <laughs> I mean, living in Texas, going to Mexico was pretty easy. So I've been to Mexico a bunch and I've been to Europe once. Okay, cool. Do you, Do you have any interesting stories
0: from your younger years that maybe we've never heard that might be,
1: about music or just about life?
0: Just about your life. I want to I I learn a little bit more about Sean outside of
1: academic Sean. Ah, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that's like, I mean, I, I'm a little bit boring, Chad. I have to say. I don't know if you picked <laughs> up on that yet. Something exciting that happened. I mean, let's come back. Let me think about that one for a little bit. All right, bit. cool. Yeah, 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 no problem. I'm not I, trying to dodge the question. I just need to think about it no
0: totally cool totally cool what was your i what was your favorite state to live in and like what was the most instrumental period of growth for you like if you had to look back like i'm super happy i had this experience
1: like which one uh it's definitely living in texas because i had to move like i don't know however many miles from pennsylvania it is to texas it's a lot and I have no, it wasn't like I didn't have support, like my family was supportive of this, but I didn't have like, you know, my aunt living down the road or I didn't have any family units. Did you move
0: in with your girlfriend right away at the time?
1: No, I moved to the same apartment complex, but luckily my, one of my best friends also from Slippery Rock was going to go there for trombone performance. So she was in a one bedroom and then we lived like a couple units over in a two bedroom. Okay. Um, just to kind of get established down there, but like, okay. So my parents dropped me off. They gave me some money and they're just like, okay, like you got to make this work now. So like, just kind of, it's like when people say like, if you go to like, you know, Brazil, if I just like dropped you off in Brazil and didn't teach you Portuguese, like you'd have to like assimilate. (laughs) It's like kind of one of those things where like, if you just kind of get in a situation and you're like really all in the situation, like you're going to have to basically survive and thrive or you're going to fail. And I think that was good because I not, it, it probably even more so made my amount of independence like even more shrewd that I have like you know if you're like get a flat tire like you can't call your dad to come like bail you out no, but no. just like that whole kind of mentality I think was really important for just like my growth as a person okay I thought of a story but it's really not that exciting but I'll tell you anyway all right hit it But it's kind of like about music anyway so like okay I'm gonna I'm like playing my saxophone and there's this composer David Meslanka kind of famous uh recently passed away so i get in on this consortium he's writing this new piece for cello and piano and um so i applied to play this piece on a conference at oklahoma which is about three or hours from where i'm living at the time and i get on the conference and they put me on the nighttime concert which is like kind of a big deal not like the big big deal but it's like pretty good i'm like 25 i'm like all right this is good so (laughs) now i need a cellist i don't have i don't know any cellist and so i the guy I'm like kind of studying with all the time, he's like, well, there's a grad student here at this school uh, in Nacogdoches, which is like East Texas, like near Louisiana. And he's like, he'll do it with you. He's a good guy. Just come down and meet him or whatever. So, okay. So I drive out to Nacogdoches like three hours and I had just one rehearsal with this guy. Honestly, I can't remember his name. He sounded good. Um, he was from like either Scotland or Great Britain. I can't remember. Somehow I ended up in East Texas doing this cello masters. So, we like agreed that the next time we're going to meet is like on the gig in Oklahoma at this conference. So the day of like, I drive to Oklahoma, like going to play this performance. I like meet up with the cello guy and then we meet up with this pianist and we have like the one and only rehearsal, like we're ever going to have with this pianist, like it's like two hours before the gig. And we're was like, okay, that's it. Like we have to do it now. And like, it was like a, some intonation issues and it was a little rough in spots, but we like had to, we like had to do the gig and, I'm just like sitting backstage and I'm like, okay, like, I hope we can do this. Like, I hope we can just pull this off. Because it was kind of like, oh, it was a nighttime concert. So, like, everyone's there at this mm-hmm. conference. And it ended up going fine. But it was just like, wow, that was crazy. Like, just to have no rehearsal, do this gig. And then I just, as I was telling you this, I just remembered another time uh, Libby Larson, this like very famous composer, was the composer in residence in the Pittsburgh symphony. And I just like emailed her like, Hey, I'm a junior undergrad. I'm playing your piece wings. Can I just like play it for you? And she's like, yeah, just come to this hotel and meet me in this, like, no, what? way! What? Yeah, meet me in this, like, um, a conference room and just, you can play the piece for me. And I just like, okay. And I just like show up with my saxophone, like 21 year old kid. Like, okay, I'm going to play this piece for you now. Do you like it?
0: What does she say?
1: She like, she was she wasn't like mean to me but she was just like come on like you gotta be better than this and then at the end she was like she like signed my score and she's like you sound good like keep keep working on it kind of thing i mean she was was nice enough about it but i was like okay
0: do you do you see yourself staying at bw for a long time like are you finding a home
1: here i mean yeah i mean we bought this house um out here in avon uh at my interview they were like you know like why do you want to come here and i was like well i maybe just want to try to grow this into like you know
2: like a nationally recognized a national... it, and it is now billboard actually just uh, named it like one of the top music business schools right yeah we're guys... on the list for
1: 20 we're on the list for 2020 but now it's like you know what's that book that's like nick saver says something like it's easy to be good but it's really really hard to like maintain to stay good uh, yeah and i think that's the challenge and to continue to like adapt to whatever's happening like well you see big
0: enrollment push or kickback from like a billboard PR like that a pr
1: article well the nice thing about that is just the the reach of the publicity right that's like the best publicity we could get outside of like the new york times or something or that or la times or something But, um, I think it's good because I think it really helps our SEO, like someone searches like music business school, like Cleveland, like there's gotta be like a correlation to that posting. Mm -hmm. And it's like the 2020, it's the most recent one. They're not doing one for 21 because of the pandemic. They want to just take a year off from the list. So that kind of gets us another year, um, of, of relevance in like the SEO world. And I would say like maybe 40% of the applicants I've seen come through are from, not, not from Ohio. And that just leads me to believe that they're finding that's you. Helping. That's helping a yeah. lot. Wow, that's, that's insane. I, you know, it's going to be hard for us to really to attract students from like Tennessee. I mean, between Middle Tennessee State, Belmont, like you right. name it, like all the. So I mean, it's not like the cure all, of course, right? But it is good for definitely growth in the future, indeterminate growth. Um, I
0: want to maybe talk to you and get your opinion on what do you th- what do you think of the health of the music scene out in Cleveland? Or in in Ohio in general,
1: man, it's better than Dallas. I'll tell you that just from living there. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. I mean, in Dallas, we have like the House of Blues, and we have this other kind of arts district, and like that's it. Now, um, it's not as good as Austin, I would say, just from being in that area a couple times. But uh, people are just like I don't know, like the mistake on the lake or whatever. Like Cleveland sucks. <laughs> Uh, but it's not really true i mean like there's so not many independent all. venues there's Live nation properties there's rock hall there's there's alt press there's re- the gotta groove record pressing plant there's like you know grog and beachland and happy dog and and like mahal's and other stuff i'm not even thinking of right now i mean we even saw in the class that that little place in bria with the train station has live music now right the all depot right. that
0: yeah depot. yeah yeah the depot
1: <laughs> wow I've been continually impressed. And now I'm not gonna, you know, tell prospective students that we're this is like the same market as LA, New York, or Nashville, right? That's obviously not true. But it is better than like ninety percent of other cities, I would say, probably. Yeah, I'd say the
0: um like from a student perspective, the barrier to entry, to meeting professionals, to having hands-on experience comparative to the intimidation of the market is really good. Like meaning like it's super easy and everyone's super friendly. And I really think like personally, I'm seeing like a huge real estate and uh, um, revitalization of a lot of neighborhoods in the Cleveland area. I think it's drawing a new audience of like younger people
1: yeah i mean people i don't know like midwest people there's like that midwest charm i don't really know what that means exactly but it does mean for us that people are like certainly like super willing to help like if i just like called up kathy blackman and asked her if she would zoom like next week she'd probably say yeah uh and they're just the people who like really support the community of music here are like really willing to go like that extra mile kind of thing because they've been doing it for so long they just like that's just part of who they are right Mm -hmm. if you had to
0: uh what's the most important part of being an entrepreneur for someone who doesn't maybe want to go to school, but wants to start something for themselves. Um, what do you, what in your eyes does it take to really, to really
1: do that? Okay. So this goes back to the question you guys asked earlier about like, what are the traits of like this generation or whatever, mm-hmm. like you guys like persevere through like so much, but then like when you get the wrong Starbucks order, you're like, I can't even. So like, uh, that's an interesting
2: perspective.
1: So I always tell the students that like the most important characteristic is just like, getting over, no, you're going to hear no more than you're going to hear yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I reach out to composers and I ask if like we can work together and I hear no, and as much as if not more than I hear yes. Right. But I think the trick to entrepreneurship is like keeping enough plates, like spinning so that when you do get that one, yes, you're like, okay, like ready to move on it. Instead of just like putting all your eggs in on one thing and then getting the no and just being like, well, I guess I'll never succeed. Mm -hmm. It's just like, if you were a performer, like you only learned like one piece. And then you got to the gig and they are like, okay, we're not doing that one piece here. You're like, oh, well now what am I going to do? So I feel like you just have to, I always try to have like multiple things kind of going at once because then if something falls through, then you just have, you know, plan B, C, D and E. So just like a multitude of, of things kind of going simultaneously. That's probably what I'd say. 100% 100% agree, yeah. with, agree with that entirely. Um, we also like to ask
0: a lot of our guests, if for someone who's maybe above the age of like 35 or is now 40, 50, and they just feel lost or not really sure what they want to do with their life, what's some advice you have for
1: someone that that might be in that, that position? Well, I'm not 50, but I guess what I would say is um, it's never too late to just do what you want to do. I, I totally like, agree. I feel like we're constantly like, having to remind ourselves, like, you know, okay, you're doing something and like your mom wants you to do something else, or your friend wants you to do things for you. So if you feel like you're doing something not for you, and you know, it's easier to say than do if you're supporting a family or whatever, but you have the right to do what makes you happy as long as it's within the the parameters of the law, right? So Mm -hmm. I would just say do what makes you happy. Wow that's
0: a beautiful sentiment I wanted great. to ask too, uh, what do you listen to in your free time? are you just like always listening to classical music? what's your vibe like what-
1: no man I just I'm, I'm like pretty eclectic uh, I could definitely go through phases and I go through like some like really intense listening of certain artists like there was a time where I was like I only want to listen to bands that were like really really good for a short amount of time and then like just fell apart and there's like no like <laughs> specific niche. The catalog is like short and like very, uh, like dense and everything's good and like there's nothing, there's no filler. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like I went through this phase where like I just listened to like Oasis, like the the first two records. Yeah, I love Oasis. Like like definitely, maybe like that record, like that every song. Oh, so good. good. But then like you know they fell apart and it was just like a comet through the sky. Okay, same thing like Rage Against the Machine, right? Yeah, the debut. The debut album is like so great. Evil Empire is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Battle of Los Angeles is like okay. And then that's it. That's the end of it. Right. Sure. Um, same thing with like Nirvana, right? Nevermind's like so good. In Utero is pretty good. And then there's like the Acoustic album. That's like the end of it. Um, Like the good Kanye West records. like that kind Yes. Of what else have I been into recently? I was into the Food Fighters. I don't know why. I just got really into the Foo Fighters. They just came um, out with their new album, actually, today. Yeah, I pre-ordered it like a total fanboy. Um, <laughs> now, have you noticed, the Food Fighters have been like everywhere recently. That's they, just
0: strong branding.
1: Yeah, okay. So, like, Trump loses. They're on yeah. Saturday Night Live, like, the next day doing the that one song, but, like, the slow version now. Jamaican ah, that's... Oh. Yeah. What song is it? Um don't no i don't know think i, I didn't
0: see that episode
1: i'll think about it later i think it's times like these actually so they're doing times like these but it's like the 2020 version sure and then they're on like the amazon holiday special they're on like the cover of what's i can't remember what magazine so I saw them on the cover on they're on the joe biden like inauguration concert wow, and this they, is all they just of, have a good
0: pr team
1: this is all just to get the new record like high on the charts but it's been interesting okay so there's that um I went into like a big Beastie Boys phase. So I feel like they're really like underappreciated mm. for the sampling. Um, yeah, true. absolutely. And then I went through over break. I listened to like a combination of like the new Eminem record and like the Bee Gees. It was really weird. And <laughs> oh, whoa, because <laughs> is... you know the, there's that Bee Gees documentary on HBO, and I watched that, and I kind of just like I'll have to check that out. A it good? To the Bee Gees uh yeah it's pretty good i think it covers the topic like, from a lot of good angles like they talk about like the i i don't want to say the gentrification of the use of falsetto but just like sets up the the history of the falsetto a, as like a musical tool and then like how it was monetized so i thought it was yeah. pretty well done that's kind of um, cool and then like you just get appreciation for like how many hits they put out but also how people got tired of the bgs for putting out too many hits um like, wow. kind of like the Tom Brady of their time. Like, they're they, they yeah. around for so long. They put these sets out. They put out the uh, soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever. And then, like, they went this big tour. And then everyone kind of hated them after that because they were just like, you're, a comm- you're too commercial. Like, you had they had been too mainstream. So I got into <laughs> that. And I then I just kind of got into the new Eminem record because, I don't know, I think there's something witty about Eminem. And I think it, it's interesting, His, he has, like, come really far right like the marshall mathers lp was like borderline genius and also like borderline like way too offensive especially for its time
0: true true
1: and now definitely um i mean now it's like there's like you know eminem like became friends with elvin john or whatever and he's modernized now and it, somehow you know he's made it through all of these these like cultural phases yeah like it's it's
0: really funny to see the in his album the dichotomy between him and the current rap mainstream
2: absolutely yeah so i just
1: find that to be interesting so i'm not so much like like loving the message of eminem at all times but i'm just more interested in like the trajectory mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) totally understand very interested um i want to give you an opportunity to maybe plug or share anything you want for anyone who's listening out there
1: uh well, just come to bw for music industry but um <laughs> i don't know man i don't really We're have anything to plug you know i don't have any products or services just sure uh,
0: no, no social medias that need following to
1: i mean just follow us on instagram i have a tiktok and i had one good one that had forty thousand views hey um, wow and i'm, good, I'm good just shit. once you have a good one then this is like how tiktok like gets its hooks in you right you just like want to have another good one uh, so okay. you make another one and then like you know it gets like a thousand it's views. like slot machines yeah. And you're like, well, that sucked. Like, I thought that was pretty good. I thought I'd get at least 10,000 views. Like, okay, I better make another one. So, what I brought home from school, this contract. Um, this is a, what year is this? 1983 uh, tour and technical rider for Black Sabbath and Quiet Riot was the opening act. Oh, that's sick. And there are some interesting little fun facts in here. I was going to do a little TikTok about it, but like one of them was about ice and they need something like 300 pounds Ooh. of ice. And his parentheses, like the band is an ice ice freaks. Like you have to have enough ice for Black Sabbath.
0: (laughs) Wow. Such an interesting rider need.
1: I think I'm going to do something about that. Did they ask
0: for private dressing rooms? That tells a lot about the band.
1: Classic things. Oh, yeah. The ice ice thing I thought was really something. I can't find it, but I was going to, I thought maybe, you know, like do TikToks about these contracts I have because people don't have access to those. That might be interesting. Yeah, I have nothing to plug. Just
0: do you get access to that kind of stuff?
1: I mean, honestly, I got I got this on eBay for like $10 because I thought it was like, okay, we can use this in class. We obviously can't go to the Rock Hall Archive uh, Museum right now or probably for some time. So if I can like get these old, these contracts for like $10 off eBay, then I think- That's also, it. I
0: think, a unique position too that BW has is the Rock Hall of Fame is right there. And it's like the the amount of research and the amount of history that's kept in that place is insane.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, they took us up to the top and they showed us like the Purple Haze lyrics. No way. Yeah, it's like on, it's on a piece of. It's like not much bigger than a post-it notes. It's just like a small pad, and Hendrix had had written it out, and then he had like crumpled up and threw it away. And then someone w- like went in the trash can afterwards and like uncrumpled it and held on to it for all these years. Whoa! Um, so they have that up there. That's like the biggest thing, probably. They have like Bruce Springsteen's like personal like journal that he would like write like lyrics and stuff in. They have like Lennon paintings up there. They have Like,
0: can anyone they- get access to this space or no?
1: Yeah, it's it's from it's on the Cuyahoga County Community College, the downtown campus. You just have to make an appointment, and you go on and tell them what you want to see, and they'll bring it down to you, uh, and you just look at it at the kind of like the tables there. And then when you're done, they take it away. Well,
2: that's, but that yeah, would be, they have crazy yeah. stuff.
1: There. They have like the whole contract for like the dissolvement of the Beatles as like a, like a what? Company. Yeah, it. But that was on loan oh from somebody. They actually have that. They had that on display at the museum. They have all kind of crazy stuff. Um, they have Elvis's like first contract. He's making like five hundred bucks for a gig. It was
0: yeah, cool. but at the time with inflation, that's probably not terrible.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, they have like Hendrix's death certificate. There, we looked at that. Mm-hmm. They have like all of this, just everything. So it's pretty cool. Cool.
0: Well, yeah, I, I feel like uh this is rounding out our hour pretty nicely here, and I I want to thank you so much for for coming on and sharing and. Uh, Make sure if anyone's listening to uh, check out BW's music business program. They've got tons of really interesting stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Sean, for being on. No yeah, problem, Chad. I'll see you in class on Tuesday. <laughs> All right. See you in class on Tuesday. Peace right. out, Sean. <laughs> All right, bye guys. Peace.